Welcome to the Player Development Project podcast. My name is Dave Wright, and in this fascinating and in-depth conversation, I had the pleasure of hosting international hockey coach, researcher, and coach developer at Oxford Brooks University, Danny Newcomb. Danny is a senior lecturer, coach developer, and skill acquisition expert at Oxford Brooks. He's a leading hockey coach, and Danny was part of the coaching team for the Welsh men's hockey team, which recently attended the Commonwealth Games in Australia. Danny and I discuss a wide range of topics around skill acquisition, constraints-based coaching, creating a learning environment, the coaching spectrum, and more. This is a must-listen interview with a true innovator and thought leader in coaching. We pick the conversation up on the topic of performance versus development environments and practice design. Enjoy the conversation, and don't forget to head over to playerdevelopmentproject.com and check out the Masterclass discussion section for the full conversation. Just sort of the final question around your the performance side, and, and you know you talk about there are differences perhaps between a development and a performance uh, environment. You've had that experience now, whether a medal was your sort of performance indicator going out there, or whether it was to win X amount of games. How did you sort of frame that with the players in terms of okay, well we're going to this huge event, we're going to this tournament, we're the underdogs. How do you frame that with the players to say what is success? Yeah, and that's something Zach and I. The head coach of Wales talked a lot about how do we frame this. Mm. With the, some of our analysis going in was like, will we will we be a bit risk averse? Will we play within our shells a bit? You know, so when we played these types of teams previously, so four years ago, we we didn't retain the ball for long enough. We spent too long without it. We worked hard. We were organised, but really we didn't get a foothold in the game. And one of our big things. So guys, it was kind of an easy sell for this one. So it was going, our challenge is to go and deliver eight, nine out of 10 and put it out there. That's our job. Go and deliver our game at its best and we'll see where we land, which then immediately takes them away from go and win, go and draw, go and score to just got to go and deliver the best, our best performance as a group. We also sort of challenge, one of my things I think changed them a little bit. I kind of asked them, what's the point of sport? Like, why are we here? Like, why are we flying halfway around the world to play hockey? It's a good question. It's mad. When you really think about it, um, it's absolutely mad. Why, like, the money that goes into it, the the time, the and, and all this sort of stuff. And when you sort of go, well, why are we here? Because if no one was watching, we wouldn't be here. Yeah. So I was like, the key is that we, we end, we've got to entertain. Yeah. Like, that sport is entertainment. People pay to watch because they mm. enjoy being entertained. So when people pay their Aussie dollars to walk through the to the gate, there's you know, seven thousand people, however many was watching. Our job is to entertain them. So mm. go out there and entertain them and give them an experience where they go, "Wow, hockey's amazing! I want to watch hockey. I want my kids to play hockey." And people were coming up to us after the game. Well, I've never seen hockey, but I'm gonna take my kid down the local club. And I was like, "That that is why we're here." That's that, a bigger that's purpose, isn't it? When you go back to that word of purpose, that is a bigger purpose as an ambassador for the sport, right? Yeah, and then back home, like our job is for people, Welsh people, to watch it and be inspired and want to play hockey. Because yeah. ultimately, they're the the twenty guys we went away with. They're the twenty, you know, Welsh hockey players that are representing Wales. That's, t- that's only twenty blokes. Yeah. And what about the other people back home that you know down you know Fishguard Hockey Club that you know that have gone to pick up a stick because they well that's the that's the bigger purpose of yeah. sport in my head I think and. Yes, winning and being successful makes 
the legacy and if you believe in those sorts of things easier to promote it's easier mm -hmm. to inspire people you look at the gb women's hockey winning a gold medal in rio that kind of really and the england netball team that obviously done very well in in the commonwealth games you know that that will be a catalyst and an inspiration yeah. also win helps and also you, you've got to look at why we individually do sport and coaching because it's mad when you think about it um, <laughs> Uh, trying to get a group of 20 blokes who are all different in a really stressful environment with loads of stuff that you can't control to be judged by one score and you both can't win you, know, sort of, <laughs> you start <laughs> frame it that way around yeah and you go and it's the challenge it's it is the unpredictability it yeah. is the drama you know so i think that's the, the the way i kind of sort of try to position it for the guys is yeah tactical stuff they're brilliant at and yeah. physical stuff they've done the prep now go out and this is the fun bit go out yeah. and enjoy yourselves and go and deliver stage. yeah for sure i think it's a really nice way to frame it in terms of that purpose and, and obviously a nice way to look at it and i've got to say whether it's at the performance end or the pointy end of the game i've seen that kind of anxiety with under 10s under 12s under 14s and that kind of stress as well whether it's parents or external influences so really really interesting look the areas of skill acquisition and constraints lead coaching are Obviously, topics that you cover a lot, both in your work at Oxford Brooks and your work in your own coaching practice. These are areas where you're considered to be an expert in this area. So can you elaborate a little bit on your interpretation of what these terms mean to you and some of the common misunderstandings around particularly constraints-led coaching and, and obviously skill acquisition as well? Yeah, yeah. How long have you got? Um, so a little bit of like a journey for me was, well, I say this to our students who are sort of battling with this stuff because it's not easy. Um, some of the concepts are like okay i get it doing it's actually more difficult than it and that's part of the fun mm. but you know to them I, I was still plopping cones on the floor and, and getting people to dribble around them at the age of 26 so you know you guys are 18 19 20 and starting your journey into these into these conversations and discussions yeah. you know like relax and and, and you won't get this for you know five six seven eight nine ten years but you know let, let's let's get into it and um it started with me because I was coaching the, the Women's National League team and they were doing, we were doing lots of technical work and they were getting better and better and we're like, wow, they can visit and their like, consistency on their passing and trapping into the game, still can't make the 10 meter pass. Mm. And, it, and it, it, that was kind of a real, like what we're doing and we're getting better at something in training, but it's not making us better at the game. And that was a massive, huge discussion in my head of, and, and the moment where I really reflected and went well maybe what we're doing in training isn't isn't that effective sure it's that search for knowledge transfer right yeah that that's the that's the big thing what a question I ask myself as a coach or get coaches to ask themselves what's your intention for this session what do you want them to get better at what's the development you want okay will it transfer mm -hmm. but we never really try try measuring it that's my PhD um, <laughs> no chance <laughs> Um, and it is in, you know, it is, that's that decisions are made. That's the art, I guess. And the, you know, it's, but there's some stuff we can make sure that's in our environment. That means it's probably more likely to transfer. Mm -hmm. um, we play those games. And then, so that kind of drew me to kind of nonlinear pedagogy and, and, you know, the sort of seminal work of, of Newell and Keith Davids and then those guys and sort of really getting into that stuff. And then, which led me towards sort of constraints led approaches and really delving into that. And, and now, you know that that's it really drives everything i do the kind of systems approach mm -hmm. that kind of 
ecological type stuff and, and there's lots of big words and i think that's part of the problem that the, yeah. there's a big sort of real theory to practice gap that, that's kind of kind of hard to navigate a lot of the papers are really written in for academic and that's what academic papers are they're written for academics it's research um and that kind of transfer is starting to happen and you know keith talks to me a lot about you know you sit between the two that's what we need when you guys that are practical and theoretical and, mm -hmm. and we can write stuff now that's going to sit but a bit of jargon busting and myth busting is kind of what I enjoy, enjoy the most. Um, so some of the phrases I use, you've always been using a constraint to that approach, you just didn't know it. Yeah. Um, so uh, a constraint to that approach captures how human beings organize movement solutions. Mm -hmm. that, that's not a magic bullet of you need to use these practices or not. It just helps us understand how a human being organizes its body to solve a problem. And that that organization is a product of the task, could be walking upstairs, the human, so the anatomy, the biomechanics, the muscles, the, um, the psychology, the mood, the fatigue state, so everything that kind of fits into that human, and then the environment. Mm. And all, all the constraints that the approach is saying is that when one of those changes, the movement solution changes. Yep. And as long as coaches, we know that, we can then start to change some of the things to cause the movement solutions we want to happen. It's almost an awareness yeah. or a consciousness of these ideas and then trying to think how is that relevant for that individual or my environment, I guess, right? Yeah, that's right. And two people might be very different in shape and size. Of course. So that their movement solution to solve that problem will look and be potentially different. That mm. doesn't mean one's right or one's wrong, but that's what will happen. And so it's all built on this premise of, two things really, dynamical systems theory, which um, I get really excited about, but basically <laughs> it, the system's always searching for stability. That's the answer. So it will try and self-organize is the big phrase, which mm -hmm. basically means problem solve, work it out, call it what you want, but the body will try and self-organize or the human will self-organize against the instability in the system, always looking for that stability. So if we, as a human, we start to, our center of mass moves off to the face, we'll, we'll correct. Mm -hmm. the, the body a stable position to be in is upright with our center of mass over our over our feet um you know if we're in defense on in rugby for example and transition we will organize ourselves to be stable so we're set we're in position we're covered and, and that's the stable solution to the problem so the key is as coaches to provide instability yeah if you, if you provide instability the learners will self-organize against it and come up with solutions. So that's the, the first thing. If we know that our job's to provide instability now, how much, what type of instability, that those are the types of questions that we might get into. So often I say, if you put cones down on the floor and ask your players to dribble around them in, which is common practice in, in still, yeah. um, <laughs> in hockey, in, in ice hockey, in, 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 in soccer, um, they will create a movement solution that solves that problem i.e. looking at the floor mm -hmm. and then we always say the big problem with players when they dribble the ball is they don't look up i sort of say well who put the cones on the floor 100 percent. and they sort of look at me and i'm like well you've they've solved the problem you've set them you've created this instability you've dribbled from here to here and then they say to the, the player just do that but look up and i just want a six-year-old to say you mad <laughs> 
Yeah. Put the cones on the floor, pal. Yeah. <laughs> you don't want me to look at them? What, what you, you insane? Mm. Um, so there's those sorts of things. And so that, that, I'm not saying drills are bad. There's, there's good drills mm. and there's bad drills. And I'm not a fan of block practice and cues. And, and there's good games and there's bad games as yeah. well. So it's not an argument about drills versus games. It's an argument around is the movement solutions the players create, will they transfer? Are they going to be useful when they play the game? So even a step forward to mannequins and poles that are upright better than putting cones on the floor. Sure. I still don't fully agree with it, but it's <laughs> definitely a movement well, forward. But why can't we just put them in a box with a load of other humans that are moving, give them a ball each and ask them to dribble around, you know, and if they start bumping into each other, they'll start to self-organize and, and get their heads up. Or so now you're talking bumping. interference practice on that coaching spectrum, which obviously we'll, we'll get to. Yeah, exactly right. So, Understanding that humans will always organize against instability mm. based on the, type of the environment and them, we're kind of in a good place. And yeah. then there's this other theory, which is called ecolog uh, ecological psychology. So it basically talks about the role in the environment in shaping our decisions and movements and interactions. Mm. So a really nice quote from, from Keith Davis was, we wouldn't be able to adapt to an environment we never inhabit. So we wouldn't realize our ability to swim if we weren't given the opportunity to interact with water. Sure. So our job as coaches is to just provide loads of environments for our players to inhabit and adapt in. Yeah. If we provide them with the environment, the sort of, if we correct environments, the bad <laughs> environments that are rich and game-like and have the right amount of instability in and that are dynamic and contextual, then they will adapt and inhabit those environments and learn to be in them. Sure. Now, one of my favorite throwaways is it, dynamical systems theory doesn't mean chuck the child in the swimming pool, <laughs> walk away in dynamical systems. Um, they may drown. Yeah. Um, so our job is to actually coach as well mm. and help learners in those environments. They always go, well, what, what if little Timmy's holding a stick the wrong way around? So yeah. well, then you help him. Yeah, 100%. There's still a place to coach, right? Yeah, yeah that's what I think happened a little bit over here is all oh, you can't you can't possibly tell anyone anything yeah yeah it's because that it's no 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 your environment needs to be game like and they have to have decisions within it and it needs to be rich but you can still help and coach and what we're saying is don't put the don't put timmy in the in the shallow end where he can just put his feet down yeah because he won't because he solved the problem then you've set him mm. set him a problem that's just outside his his kind of depth where he feels like that safe amount of, un of one of you know rich or safe uncertainty, so he yeah. knows that he, but he has to, he's forced to create a movement solution that he doesn't already have yeah. to solve the problem that he's got. Let's not chuck him in three meter deep diving pool and, and say self organize out your way out of that path. Yeah, you know, yeah, that's that's one of the key key tenets. But there's, the key messages, I guess, are create instability as a coach, that kind of sweet spot. Um, create the right instability where they're organizing against it to, mm. to solutions that are going to be helpful when they, when they play the game. That yeah. doesn't mean we do unopposed practices Yeah, and it so, doesn't mean we do games either. So yeah. Yeah, that's the, we you said we're going to talk about the spectrum, but that, I think that's the key bit, the continuum of the practices. Absolutely. It is a really big decision for coaches, I think. Thanks for joining us on the Player Development Project podcast. You can follow us on Twitter and Instagram at PlayerDP or find us on Facebook. 
Don't forget to head over to playerdevelopmentproject.com where you can sign up to our progressive coaching community and gain access to our wide variety of resources to help you in your coaching.